And I'll tell you why it's the same. It's because we have this dichotomy, this dualism in the spiritual world. This dualism, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it's a powerful point, I'm going to reinforce it now. There are some people who go into the extreme of just being concerned about themselves. Coming here to get rid of your problems, coming here to get more peace in your life, even just to lower your blood pressure, coming here, you know, for your own benefit, maybe. Now some of you may think you're coming here for that. Some other people are coming in here to serve, for the sake of others. You've got the committee members, people like Saul, who's very, very busy, just finishing some exams, and still comes along here to serve today. There's the people on the desk over there, doing the reception, the people who just actually served you with some snacks. They came here to give. They're not really concerned about themselves, they're concerned about others. Which is the right path? I mentioned yesterday, or a couple of weeks ago, that both are wrong. <laughs> if you just focus on yourself, you'll miss the path. If you just, you just, you get dull, you just don't get any inspiration, you can't make any progress. Like still there's some monks in my monastery, not actually not in my monastery anymore, but I was talking to a monk today on the phone, who still thinks that they can get into deep meditation just by staying by themselves, not giving them any talks, not serving other people. It's amazing, you just, you can't do it, you haven't got the oomph, the energy. I've found, in my own practice, of over the years, almost by default I've had to serve as a Theravada monk. You know, I, I had the wish just to be a hermit, that's what I like to do, that's my inclination. And people who knew me in my early life as a monk knew I just was, spent most of my time just in my hut, even I did that six month retreat, that's where I feel at home. And I thought I was doing well. For those of you who know the history of the Buddhist society, I came here as number two monk. There was another monk, Ajahn Jakaros, young, fit, very good teacher, and I thought, great, I'd be slip-streaming him for the rest of my life. What a wonderful opportunity just to be by myself. And then he went and disrobed. And all my plans went down the gurgler. <laughs> so you had to serve. But one thing I found when I was serving, my meditation got really good when I started serving. And in fact, I found that, yeah, there's actually something personally beneficial to being selfless. If you just think about yourself, your meditation, your wisdom, your spiritual oomph doesn't grow. But also there are some people who just serve others. They give, 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 and they don't get anywhere either. It's usually burnout, they just get frustrated, disappointed, dispirited in the end. They start off with inspiration and they end with expiration. <laughs> Which obviously happens after inspiration, you expire. And so people, they serve, 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 and then you don't see them anymore. They serve in our Buddhist society committee for one or two years, and then bye-bye. And where are they gone? I never see them again. Now, both are wrong. The Dhamma, the truth, you won't see that if you focus on the other person and what their needs are. Just by giving, you will never grow. Just by thinking of yourself, 
you'll never grow. The Buddha taught a middle path. It's not looking at the other person, nor is it looking at yourself. It's looking at the space between you. What's between you and the other person? That is where the Dhamma is seen. That is where growth happens. So the idea of being an altruist, putting off one's own enlightenment for the sake of all other beings, thinking of other beings, that never works. Thinking of yourself, just me, that never works. It's what is between us. That is what works. It's a relationship problem. It's not me. It's not you. It's us. And the same way that a person becomes enlightened, the same way they walk this Dhamma and they see this Dhamma, if it's just being selfless and doing service, if it's just being selfish, there's another alternative. What's between us? Looking at the relationship which you have with the world, the relationship which you have with yourself, the relationship you have with life. It's not the other person, it's not me, it's not the world. It's what we make of it. What's between us? And there you can see why the idea of selfish practice or not worrying about yourself, other people practice, it's still both miss the goal. So people who say they're Mahayana or Hinayana or Theravada or whatever, they missed it. They will never get enlightened. In the same way when you are watching your breath or in the present moment, it's not being in the present moment or not being in the present moment which is the problem. Having the breath in mind or not having the breath in mind, having these beautiful nimittas in deep meditation, these beautiful lights in the mind, that is not the point. It's how you are experiencing those nimittas. What's between you and that nimitta? Whether there's peace there, whether there's letting go there, whether there's acceptance there. The door of my heart always open to you. Whatever it is, come in. That selflessness, that metta, that emptiness, that space, that embracing, that is not in the other person nor is it in you. It's what is between us. Now that transcends Mahayana, Zen, Vajrayana, Theravada, all these other yanas, because that is where the practice lies. That is actually where we penetrate the truth of things. Because life is relationship. We make objects out of these things, just like we make words to describe our world. We make books to encapsulate those words, and then we fight about the books, and we get upset when a book gets destroyed or flushed down a toilet. How much do we miss things? As a Muslim, you shouldn't be concerned about Islam, nor should you be concerned about converting others. It's what's between you and the other is what's important. It's our relationships. Being a Buddhist or being a Christian, that's not the point. It's how Buddhists relate to Christians, how Christians and Buddhists, what's between them. That's the point. Now can you understand just how true religion, true understanding of all this has to create peace and harmony and stillness in this world. How it has to solve the problems 
Because it's not you aren't the problem, I'm not the problem. It's how we relate to each other, that will always be the problem. You can't get everybody to be like you, you can't have yourself being like other people. Isn't it wonderful that we're not the same? Remember that wonderful scene from the life of Brian? When Brian is asked to actually to say something profound and on his balcony, thinking quickly, he said, you are all different. And somebody put their hand up and said, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But anyhow, so once we understand what this real Dhamma is, we can understand it has to be something, real truth, real religion, real spirituality, has to be something which doesn't create arguments in this world. And that's a dinky dice saying of the Buddha, who said you can understand what Dharma, what truth really is, by its effect. If it does create turmoil, it does create violence, it does create disharmony, lack of peace, that it can't be Dhamma, it's not my teachings, said the Buddha. But if it's something which creates peace and harmony and freedom, he said, now that's the teachings of a Buddha, that's Dhamma, that's truth. So, if it's Theravada which says, I am better than you are, this is the original teaching, only do my way, does that create peace and harmony in the world? Of course it doesn't. So it can't be the teachings of a Buddha. If I say that, oh, this is not a good vehicle, you should go to another vehicle, and self-deprecation, that too is not Dhamma. When we have this beautiful way of relating, relating to other religions, relating to other sects in Buddhism, relating to ourselves, relating to our meditation, relating to our body and its sickness and, and final death, It's not death is not the problem. If it were, we're stuck because we're all going to die. It's not cancer is not the problem. It's how we relate to that cancer. What's between us and that sickness? What's between us and the death? What's between us and life? Now, that's where the dumb is. And once we can work on that, that was a message in the books. That was a teaching of a Buddha. That was actually the message of a, I would understand, of a Jesus or a Prophet Muhammad or anybody. That peace in this world, and that peace is never going to be attained by just thinking of yourself or worrying about others, but looking at what's between us. It's the relationship which is important. And this is the trouble with even marriages. When you think of yourself, what I need, what I have to get out of this relationship, what you know, my requirements are, this relationship's going to break. If you're just selfless and just think about the other person, what can I do for him, what can I give him, what can I do for her, it's going to break down. It's what's between you, how you relate together. That's where the partnership happens. So this Dharma which the Buddha taught, not only is it for enlightenment, for seeing the deeper truths, it also makes for a happy life as a married couple. And it makes my life simple as well, when you don't come up to me and say, Ajahn Brah, 
can you please help me? My husband's doing this, and my daughter's doing that, someone's doing this. <laughs> That's why I give these talks. To somehow stop you ringing me up in the middle of the night. Because ah. <laughs> sometimes we should never publish our telephone number. Otherwise, dial a monk happens again. <laughs> so anyhow, so that is the difference between these different traditions. I mention historical. And I mentioned just you know, what sometimes people say they are, that we're the great vehicle, you're the small vehicle. Well, that's rubbish. There's only, Buddha only taught one vehicle. And it's not that sometimes people say that in the time of the Buddha, people weren't really intelligent enough to understand the real teaching, so they were put aside in the Naga realm, and the realm of the dragons kept there until wise people you know, came up in the world. That stinks, basically. It doesn't make any sense to me. One of the great things about being a Westerner, you can question and you're allowed to question and you're allowed to use reason, you're allowed to use historical analysis. Fortunately, after the uh, Western Enlightenment, when people started questioning the Christian teachings, they started looking at those old um, teachings and using reason, science to find out when those things were written. You can do that with Buddhist teachings as well, because language changes. If you heard a talk, even a Buddhist talk, or go and look at an old Buddhist book written 50 years ago, there are words in there you never hear today. And there are words today you never heard 50 years ago. Language changes, vocabulary changes, and you can look at an old book, and you can pretty much tell when it was written. You know, within 20, 30 years, just because of the language, the metaphors, the style, the fashion. And that's actually how, what they use actually to try and um, to date the various strands in the Christian Bible when they're actually written. There's very, very powerful evidence. You can do the same with Buddhist teachings. You can actually see just which ones were later, which ones were earlier. So it was great to be able to have that Western education where you could question and you could penetrate and you get rid of a lot of the rubbish. But in the end, when you got rid of all the rubbish, what you were left with were these beautiful teachings of a Buddha, which are not owned by any sect, which no one has a franchise on truth. No one can patent it and say, it's mine, if you want it, you have to listen to me. The great thing about truth, it's like the air, it's there to be breathed in by any being at any time, in any place. That's why the Buddha said, Buddhas only point the way. The books only point the way. The different traditions, they just encapsulate and because of their history, they've emphasized different parts of the way. And if you go into the heart of them, they all carry the full teachings of a Buddha. And those teachings are just the pointers for you to see these things for yourself. So, all those different yanas, all those different traditions, it's all for you to use. But you get your meditation together as well. So with those two, the teachings of all the great traditions, or just enough sample of it to get an understanding of what it's all about and meditate, get your mind very still. You put the two together and you understand what the Buddha was talking about. 
you understand the Mahayana, the Theravada, the Zen, the Vajrayana, the whole lot, and you understand, ah, yeah. Same cake, different icing, because you've got to the heart of it. And it's wonderful and beautiful you can do that, because it means, at least in our tradition, we don't have any arguments. We're not trying to, like the Catholics trying to get the Anglicans to join, and the Anglicans trying to convert the Catholics. It's nice having a different cake every day, and always having the same icing. Variety is a spice of religion. (laughs) So that's the talk this evening on the different Buddhist traditions, what they mean and how we can make use of this, and what's between us. That is Dhamma. So thank you for listening today. Okay, any questions, comments or complaints today? Have I offended anybody? No. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the Dharma is a living stream. Yes, yeah, living in the sense you got the the point is even like living, it's just it just is, always is, always will be. One of the Buddha's sayings: even if Buddhas arise in the world or they don't arise in the world, the Dharma is always there. If there's a teacher or is not a teacher, the truth is truth is truth, always there to be seen, and no one owns the truth. That's why the one of the biggest problems in our world when religions or organizations come up and say we have the only truth all you other guys, girls have got it wrong and it's much it's obviously much uh, better for our planet if we can say that this is our version of the truth this is our uh, explanation our take on it our encapsulation this is how we describe it but this is just descriptions. The descriptions are different, but we're pointing to the same thing. And that same thing is not a God. That's just another word. It's not like a Dhamma with an R or Dhamma with a double M. That's just words. It's actually what is underneath that, what is between us and that idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. You're asking so when the Buddha wrote his Dharma and when Ajahn Chah he never wrote a thing, Ajahn Chah. That's why he will never get reborn as a donkey. <laughs> it is other people. And actually I know some of the monks who wrote those books, so they don't want to disrobe because they weren't meditating and spending all their time translating and <laughs> it's true. But anyhow, sort of they they wrote down those things and that's his explanation, that's his description of the same thing. And so we don't argue about who is right and who is wrong. If you argue, then you are wrong. <laughs> if you're friends, then you are right. Okay, so thank you for coming today. And I will be here next week when I come back from Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra. So I hope to see you next week. But next week is a long time. There are some messages for even what's going to happen tomorrow and on Sunday. So take it away, Sol.